0: With topics ranging from how cloud computing is streamlining government operations to exploring the intersection of machine learning and healthcare data, Foley & Larder's innovative technology insights podcast examines not just the legal ramifications of developments at the cutting edge of technology, but how they are affecting businesses, governments, and individuals. In each episode, we will lead discussions between researchers, industry leaders, and regulators for their thoughts on this changing world. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is Natasha Allen. I'm a partner at Foley's Silicon Valley and San Francisco offices and the co-chair of the AI subsector within our innovative technology sector. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing technology trends and digital transformation. Joining me today is Ann Jordan. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Natasha. So just to give a little bit of background on Anne, Anne is the CEO of ASQ, and we'll learn more about what ASQ does and and what it stands for shortly. But prior to joining ASQ, Anne held leadership roles and global responsibilities in a variety of industry areas committed to quality systems and improvements. The areas that she worked in included original equipment manufacturers, maintenance, repair and operations, as well as insurance risk management solutions. So welcome again, Anne. Thank you for joining us. And as I alluded to before, can you please explain what ASQ and ASQE is?
1: I would love to do that, Natasha. And first, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak and and reach out to all of your clients and different contacts. So ASQ and ASQE, fundamentally, they are both about quality and organizational excellence. So true uh, to quality advocates, I'll start with a little terminology uh, so we're all on, on the same page when we talk about quality what exactly does that mean now for everyone that that's technical they'll come to the conclusion that it typically implies that a product or service is satisfying implied or stated needs and or that it's free from any type of deficiencies. Is a product or service doing what it's supposed to do? Now, closely aligned with that is the term organizational excellence, and that is whether or not an organization is showing consistent superior performance. Is it exceeding its objectives, for example, or meeting expectations? So when you think about ASQ and the sister organization ASQE, quality and organizational excellence are really at its core. So ASQ, which previously was known as the American Society for Quality, now it's just condensed to that acronym at ASQ. It's the leading global membership association to help quality professionals achieve their career goals and drive excellence in organizations and industry. We have a global membership spanning 130 countries, Natasha, and we're in such areas that promote knowledge networks, publications, Even standards administration, so some of you might be familiar with ISO 9001, quality management systems, ISO 14001, environmental systems for net zero emissions. That's the stuff of ASQ. Now, in 2020, ASQ went through a business model innovation transformation, which I know a lot of organizations are doing now, that changed our operations and value proposition. That led to the creation of ASQE which is a complementary but separate trade association whose mission is to set the standards for quality-driven offerings and insights worldwide for organizations achieving excellence. So you have ASQ looking at individuals, looking at education, looking at standards, looking at thought leadership. ASQE is looking at the organizational whole, and we come together in an integrated system to promote our mission. So it's a very unique, very compelling mission statement for the organizations that really looks at improvement. So Natasha, I say I have the best job in the world because (laughs) every day I get to come to work and say, how can I help individuals and organizations advance? So, and hopefully that's what we're going to talk about today.
0: Absolutely. So in terms of your membership, it sounds like a huge, huge number of individuals or organizations that are associated with ASQ. Are there a certain category of individuals who sign up as members? Is it just across the board, a variety of organizations? Are you seeing any patterns in terms of who is associated with uh, ASQ and ASQE?
1: That's a fantastic question, and in fact, determining segmentation and quality is something that we're looking at very closely. Now, historically, I'd say going back to the 80s and 90s, you would have defined professionals that were quality professionals as their title. But now we have seen a transformation into professionals that applied quality practices. Mm -hmm. So that migration has shifted it across all industries. And quite frankly, into all business operations. So you could see people that are in finance wanting to apply quality. You could see individuals who are in, for example, software development that want to apply quality. So we've become a practice and professional organization
0: would be my response. Oh, that's amazing. And then there's an integrated model called Insights on Excellence. Can you just maybe explain a little bit about the methodology of IOE and the Absolutely. IOE tool? Yes, yeah, so this is very, very kind of unique to so
1: the ASQ ASQ model between the two organizations. So when we talked about the integrated system, there are key components within ASQ and ASQE that make it sustainable. And if you think about any good business, all this is grounded in data, right? Mm-hmm. What does that data mean? How is it measured? So insights on excellence, and I'm going to refer to it as, as IOE, that is the benchmarking tool and survey mechanism that allows ASQE to go out to organizations worldwide and across industry and gather critical data in different operational components that lead to organizational excellence. So IOE is based loosely on the Baldrige model, which some people might be familiar with that advances organizational excellence, but I call it Baldrige Plus because it's more agile. It looks to current trends. And relevant to today's discussion, one of those areas is barriers and disruptors, which is perfect going into and coming out of the pandemic. How do organizations measure up to one another? What are they focusing on for improvement? So IOE was created in partnership between our organizations and Forbes. And so it has been strenuously benchmarked, a lot of subject matter expertise to determine what are the categories that really allow for excellence. And then within that, how do we create a maturity model that allows organizations to see where they are, one through four, not only within themselves, but among their competitors in other industries. And so those four levels that we talk about in terms of maturity, they go from reactive, which really is your base, all the way to predictive, where you have that resiliency, you have that anti-fragility, so you can predict what's coming and adjust more and more. Just to kind of give you a little taste, what am I talking about in terms of this data? If you look at 2021, one of the key things is what is one of the most challenging yet-to-be-resolved issues that you have in 2021, right? We're in pandemic times. Mm-hmm. Well, all the data from these organizations shows, no surprise, supplier supplier okay. needs is that type, and then right behind it, information technology, and I know we'll dig into that, but all this information becomes valuable to identify those gaps to understand where you need to upskill
0: and improve. Absolutely. So just to touch on what you we were going to focus on, right? So I know ASQ has defined the fourth industrial revolution as a result of technology advancements of the past decade. And so how has this fourth revolution kind of driven growth and disruptive technologies?
1: Yeah. And if you look about growth, I'll start by saying digital transformation, industry 4.0, whatever term you want to use to describe it, immediately people jump to the conclusion of the technology itself. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I'll kind of challenge when we have this discussion, there's technology, but then how it's brought into an organization, how it's integrated are people trained? Is it providing what customers want? And so it goes back to that whole systems approach. So for Industry 4.0, it looks at these advanced digital technologies with excellence to determine substantial performance and really effectiveness improvements. The tools that ASQ and quality professionals really look at to recognize digital transformation, very, very familiar with your customers and your clients, whether it be artificial intelligence, big data, blockchain, deep learning, enabling technologies, machine learning, data science, all that. That's how we define that bucket, but then how is it applied and executed? Really is that next level
0: and integrated people process and the technology underneath it. So how does IOE recognize progress in, in digital transformation?
1: Yeah, so this this is really great, and I have to preface it by saying when ASQ and ASQE started this journey of, of developing IOE, it was in 2017, and then uh, Forbes was brought into place, so pre-pandemic, so I have to give credit to the ASQE team and Jim Templin, who serves as the CEO for, for their vision to look forward, but it adds a whole category called barriers and disruptors which obviously in Industry 4.0, that biggest barrier disruptor it is going to relate to these technology and advancements and how they're applied. So there is an entire category of it, uh, Natasha, that has really great data that we can dig into. Again, relying on that original Baldridge framework, on top of the barriers and disruptors category, you're gonna have leadership workforce strategy, voice of customer operations at technology. Well, digital transformation impacts all of those areas. So you start to see trends that come together within these different components. That's really compelling it and tells a story. Now, on that category of barriers and disruptors, when you look at some of the data that we do slice under IOE, it's very interesting. When you talk maturity matrix and where people are on that one through four scale, for barriers and disruptors, The overwhelming majority of all the respondents, and I'm saying 98% almost, are only in level one or level two, reactive and proactive. So the ability of organizations to come out of the pandemic, embrace industry 4.0 at its full capacity, and become resilient slash agile slash anti-fragility, whatever term you're
0: using, pretty low right now, Natasha. We have a lot of work to do. That's really interesting. You wouldn't have thought that, but I guess we just came out of a pandemic. People are probably still trying to catch their breath. What industries do you think are winning this race, if any?
1: Yeah, I hate to use winning because that implies losers. And and (laughs) everyone is on their own journey. That's the other great thing about about IOE. No matter where you are, on your journey to, to digital transformation, it really is about your ability to improve. So we'll use winners loosely, but to your point, there are certain industries, the data showing in IOE that are embracing and getting ahead, particularly in digital transformation and during the last couple of years. So surprise, when you look at the different industry buckets and I'll cover them here in just a second so you understand that the groupings we look at, the banking, finance, and insurance industries really have taken off. And the data is showing that they are leading the way. Now, the other industries that really had a big grounding in terms of respondents within the survey were automotive, airlines and hospitality, technology, industrial goods, Energy, consumer goods, healthcare services, and governments. So we pretty much run uh, the whole gamut in terms of looking at industry. I also should state that the majority of respondents when this was done with Forbes are very large corporations. We're talking over 500 million plus 5,000 employees. Most of the respondents, I think about 51% were C-suite. So this data is actually pretty reliable in terms of looking in the widest scope possible at this. But number one, that banking, insurance, and finance industry really is leading the way. The other area showing a lot of improvement was airlines and hospitality. When you dig into what's going on with that leading group, and that would be in the, the insurance and finance and banking industry, Natasha, there are some clear trends in terms of where they are improving
0: and what they're doing to get there. That was pretty, pretty compelling. And so what what are some of those things that they're doing in order to to get them to the, the forefront or-
1: when you look at that industry compared to all the others, some of the big trends that kept popping out was that they were showing they're the least challenged by online digital and security vulnerabilities. Natasha, I know that Foley has a phenomenal data security and privacy groups. I'd like to say maybe you guys are advancing that area for them. But that area really showed improvement, and they don't see the vulnerabilities compared to a lot of the other industries. They also have the strongest data measurements for being data-driven organizations to identify customer needs and using data analytics. So their adoption rate really skyrocketed over the last two years. They also identified that data analytics and digital literacy were one of the lowest skills that needed improvement within their workforce compared to the other areas. And so they really must have invested for what can tell in upskilling and getting ahead in some of those key skills that it comes to. Some other things that that we saw that were very interesting within this same industry bucket when it comes to the workforce readiness and, and adoption There was overwhelming data showing that they believed they had the right leadership in place to manage digital transformation. So the support was starting at the top. They had high ratings on understanding how digitalization would change quality related skills and how to establish strategy to attract digital transformation talent. One of the other top things that popped out in this area about the role of technology as it relates to digital transformation, is that they felt their organizations had up-to-date knowledge of digital transformation, they felt that they had successfully implemented it, they did substantial investment in resources for it, and they actually were seeing that it positively impacted their operations. So pretty compelling across the board in all the different areas. We talked about winners. I can say a little bit about those that maybe didn't advance too, which was surprising. One of the key areas that really had a hard time was in the consumer goods. They saw a lot more increase in terms of challenges that needed to be resolved for quality issues, delays from suppliers, as you can imagine, with everything that was going on. And then important to this conversation, they were lagging behind in in the area related to information technology shortfalls. And so in terms of that digital transformation obstacle and and figuring out how to integrate it, consumer goods really was
0: struggling to, to maintain competitiveness. Interesting. Interesting. And then so obviously doing this work and you've had a variety, an opportunity to talk with a variety of leaders and leaderships in a massive organizations. Are there any things that you would advise organizations that are trying to pursue a digital transformation or trying to be more technologically advanced that you'd say, do these things in order to, to move the needle in your own organizations? One of
1: the great things about this interconnected model between ASQ and ASQE is that ASQ has a very robust community of technical experts, subject matter experts. So all this great data that's coming out of IOE, we're able to bring over to these communities, pull upon these experts and say, what does it mean, Mm -hmm. right? And those technical communities represent all industries. So it's fantastic. We love to get their insight, and they love it because they can take that knowledge back to their employer and say, hey, here's the trends we're seeing. So to that point, when the IOE data dump comes out every year, it is, in fact, given to these subject matter experts to identify what are these key takeaways. And in this situation, what really are the things that organizations should pursue with the still uncertain future? in digital transformation, and I got a couple for you that I think really can help. One of the the big ones is to make the crucial connection between technology and the greater quality process. So the data is showing that technology in and of itself is not the cure-all for those problems that organizations are facing. And In fact, if you're not integrating it in the right way or have an underlying system, you're going to have subsequent issues, training, upskilling, staffing, integration with consumer voice of customer data. So to fully realize the potential and to advance in industry 4.0, that technology has to be aligned with the outcomes of those strategic initiatives and prioritized and integrated. That is one of the key takeaways that we're, we're seeing. Another key takeaway is when organizations are pursuing digital transformation, it needs to be targeted and they need to do it yesterday. We can't emphasize how much the minute you think you're on track, you're actually already behind because of the pace things are going. So companies that grasp the where are we really implementing it again into this system early have had a much different experience during the pandemic and their customers have reacted in different ways to either embrace them if they did it or really reject them. One of the other things that was tracked in different area was looking at the direct communication that customers now have with organizations. Think about social media, think about all those different platforms. How or if is that being used? Because you suddenly could have a massive disconnect with your customers that didn't exist two years ago because they have changed the way they expect to interact and the need and speed for that transformation. And so looking at the forward-thinking roadmap for digital transformation and strategy, it has to be ahead of the game. One of those things that was tracked within IOE looked at, do we have a digital transformation roadmap. I'll get into some of that a little bit later, but there were big differences within industries and then globally within countries on whether or not they proactively had planned for things. The last one I'll say is investment in customer-focused technologies. Investments in better technologies like consumer relation management or marketing automation tools that allow them to have that measurable relationship to what I just said are absolutely critical. They're better at adapting to rapid change in market conditions because that feedback is already there, right? They just have to be able to collect it. So organizations that are placing their customers first in their industries are having competitive advantages.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That is, well, it makes sense, right? And so in that, so the flip side of that, what are some of the challenges to adopting innovative technology in organizations?
1: Yes, and again, when we look at the barriers and in disruptors within that area, there are some really key trends that I want to call out. So the first one, we talked about workforce and upskilling. I, I want to note that when organizations needed to identify the biggest challenges they have in adopting quality programs to meet the needs of the workforce the number one challenge was properly using technology, right? And that was the same in 2020. So the workforce barrier is properly using, not having it, Mm -hmm. properly using it. So something to keep in mind on what they're doing there. Then when we break this down within that barriers and disruptors categories, I'll share some key information. When organizations were asked which barriers or factors really were blocking implementation of digital transformation or industry 4.0, whatever you you would like to call it. Globally, now before we slice this by region, globally, the number one leading response was that there was a weak digital strategy. Mm -hmm. So not the technology itself, but the strategy on implementation. Second to that was the cultural resistance to adopting the new technology and then third goes back to the workforce shortage of digital skills. So mm-hmm. that's just within that bucket globally for those barriers and disruptors. Now, if you look at a slightly different question with respect to technology, you start to see a, a little bit of difference, but not much, but that goes to more of the actual needs in implementation. You see a high rate of data analytics still as those gaps. But going back to those barriers, Natasha, the other thing that I'll state is that it's not the same throughout the globe. And so if you want a quick peek, where do the different regions of the world fall? I can give some of that information.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think it's it would be interesting to take a, you know, a world view. Where do some of the other countries fit in terms of being on the forefront of technology and advancements in that, those areas?
1: Yeah, there are differences. It was very unique to understand this. And of course, we don't know why. And that's why we we as an organization love bringing together subject matter experts to say, hey, can you tell us why just within the automotive industry, you see distinctions between Germany and the United States and Mexico? Why is that? So that's a lot of what our organization strives to do for, for that mission impact. But when we look at barriers in implementation of digital transformation, and we ask those regions of the world, those organizations, to state what it is, Asia-Pacific, number one, I'll state, is more advanced in terms of progressing in organizational excellence and digital transformation than other regions of the world. They were the clear leader during all this data. But when you look at what they identified as their barriers, They too were different, probably because of that maturity level, uh, Mm -hmm. perhaps in other regions of the world. So specific just to Asia Pacific countries, the number one concern for a barrier was cybersecurity.
0: Interesting,
1: okay. Um, Right, and shortly behind uh, was a shortage of digital skills and weak digital strategy. Now, Asia Pacific was the only region of the world that identified cybersecurity as its leading barrier for digital transformation. Now, jumping over the pond to Europe, the leading barrier that came out of the organizations there was the resistance, that cultural resistance to organizations to adopting technology followed by weak digital strategy. So you see in in Europe, if you just compare Europe and Asia right there with that little bit of data, you Mm -hmm. see that maturity progressing because Asia doesn't have in those organizations the hang up from a cultural standpoint of are we embracing this and can we do it? They're already there. They're looking at application. Europe, you're seeing this resistance and weak digital strategy. Now, North America and the United States different results still. (laughs) (laughs) When the North America organizations responded to this, they identified their number one problem as outdated infrastructure and systems. And so they weren't seeing presumably that same level of investment as other parts of the world. Then we had kind of a catch-all, Natasha, for we had odds and ends countries, largely developing countries that were bucketed together. They, as you can imagine from a maturity standpoint, have some different needs. And so the top two were resistance culturally to adoption and lack of funding, getting the money in place, which is what you would expect to see in that area. The kind of top five challenges outside of barrier disruptors also very much aligned with some of this thinking. So we stated like in Europe, it was that cultural element of embracing it. Well, if you look to the overall top five challenges in Europe of that complete excellency model, the number one challenge was that quality itself, like are we producing the right products? Are we embracing organizational excellence? quality is a culturally sensitive issue so getting alignment within the organization just on that general issue was leading so very some of that unique data you look at at how industry is progressing or you look at where multinational companies right now might consider growth offshoring gas yeah. growing with everything that's going on geopolitically and
0: otherwise some of this data becomes interesting from a maturity standpoint. Absolutely. And you touched on it too. If you're a global organization, what you may need in North America is completely different from what you'll need in Asia, right? It's completely it's different, completely different. And kind
1: of to the the point of what we talked about those challenges, even here in the United States, when you get outside just barriers, disruptors again, and say, what are the biggest challenges your organization has in adopting quality and organizational needs of the workforce? North America, uniquely to what we just covered, is properly using technology. And so that upskilling, it just shows that different parts of the world are, are at different places. And that's one of the things I love about the IOE tool, Natasha, is no matter where these organizations are, gives them a roadmap to improve that aligns with that educational
0: component and community and networking that could be valuable to them. That is amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was super informative. And I had a chance to go through your reports and the information that is being generated is, is absolutely phenomenal. And like you said, you can pull a lot of insights and get a lot of information from the hard work, actually, of your organization. So again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and everyone until next time.
2: Thank you for listening to this production from Foley & Lardner, LLP. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and is intended as a general overview. The podcast does not constitute legal advice nor solicitation to provide legal services. It's not meant to convey a legal position of Foley and Lardner LLP on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. Any opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the firm, its partners, or its clients. And listening to the podcast does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. The listener should not act upon this information without seeking counsel from a licensed attorney. Foley makes no representations or warranties of any kind express or implied as to the content of the podcast or to its accuracy or completeness and accepts no responsibility for an individual who acts or refrains from acting based on information obtained from the podcast. In some jurisdictions, the contents of this podcast may be considered attorney advertising. If applicable, please note that prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.